welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, the final WorldSoccerTalk.com show. Does not mean Soccer Morning is ending, but as I've said a couple times this week, just to give you uh, just a heads up, our partnership with World Soccer Talk ends as of today. The final weekday in the month of January. We'll be uh, looking ahead into the future. Don't know quite what's there yet, but uh, you know we'll be charging ahead. So uh, don't uh, don't go anywhere. Join us again on Monday. But here today, show big stuff happening. Ross Dunbar from DW Sport will join us. We'll talk Bundesliga with our good friend Ross. Uh, lots to talk about there, including the ongoing saga with Pep Guardiola, whether or not he's going to finish out his final season with Bayern Munich with. Um, both a, t- a league title and a Champions League title. Uh, perhaps uh, some talk about Jurgen Klopp, maybe poaching some talent from Germany for his project at Liverpool, the state of the Bundesliga season as it exists. Of course, we know Bayern is running away with the thing, uh, but there's always, there's always intrigue in Germany. We'll go up and down the table with Ross and take a look at all of that. So Ross coming up uh, just a couple of minutes here on a Friday edition of uh, Soccer Morning, we do have a lot of news to get to, so why don't we do that ahead of Ross's appearance. First up, Mexico head coach Juan Carlos Osorio has decided to clarify his comments on MLS. Remember, he said uh, that no player in his prime should be signing with MLS. They should be playing in Europe. This came out in a story a couple of days ago. I have a scholarship of Goal.com. Track down Juan Carlos Osorio. Of course, uh, the former head coach of the New York Red Bulls and the Chicago Fire in MLS, he said, I did say that for any player, the ultimate goal, especially at their peak, should be playing in Europe. This goes for any league in the Americas, whether it's MLS, the Mexican League, Brazilian League, Argentinian League, or any other. I have never said that I won't call players from MLS. Any suggestion of that idea is false. I would never ignore a player because of the league they play in. I, I don't know exactly why. Juan Carlos decided he needed to back uh, back off a, a little bit. Um, of course, I, I suppose it's a it's a matter of not uh, shutting down any options. He doesn't, uh, and, and and I suppose that you know he may have gotten a phone call or two, and he certainly got some connections uh, back in MLS from his days there. But regardless, here we go again. It's the same story as we've seen with Jurgen Klinsmann. Only in this case, of course, Juan Carlos Osorio has no particular uh, pressure to support. MLS. That's not the league, the domestic league of his national team that he's coaching. But like Kurgan Klinsman, he has sort of thrown his own league into a mix um, of leagues as he pushes players to Europe. The national team head coach pushing players to Europe, not that controversial in the end. Uh, it's just a matter of how people take this and, of course, uh, the powers that be, how they respond. U.S. men's national team midfielder Jermaine Jones has lashed out against his MLS suspension, calling it crazy. His New England contra- uh, Revolution contract offer, calling it a joke. Jones was suspended for six games by MLS after he made contact with referee Mark Geiger in the second leg of New England's playoff series with DC United last year. It was the final game of the Revolution season as they lost that series and meant that um, Jermaine Jones cannot play for the first six games of the new season or the first six games of uh, his new contract wherever he happens to sign uh, because of the other leagues um, honoring the MLS suspension. He says the suspension is preventing him from taking good offers abroad. And he's also, again, he's, he's, he's called the contract offer from the Revolution a joke. We don't know exactly what that is. Clearly, he was 
overpaid by MLS standards, although uh, how much he's worth at this point in his career is definitely the eye of the beholder. He made them a better team. He has previously said he'd take a pay cut from the Revolution if it meant a longer-term deal. He wants some stability there with the Revs. Uh, this is a saga that uh, uh, will play out over the next couple of weeks, I imagine. I actually think that Jermaine Jones probably won't end up being a Revolution player in 2016. Former Manchester United captain Nemanja Vidic has retired at the age of 34. Vidic appeared over 200 times for Manchester United in his nine years with the club. His contract with Inter Milan was canceled by mutual consent after the Serbian was sidelined with a hernia operation. So he hasn't been able to play for some time. I uh, saw the writing on the wall. There was r- some rumors that he might make the jump to MLS, but it seems as though maybe fitness is his major concern at this point. If he can't, can't get back to full health, then he's certainly not worth uh, signing by an MLS club. He won five Premier League titles and one Champions League title with United during his time there. He also uh, spent time in Russia and obviously this last stint with Inter Milan, quite the defender at his uh, at his height, but a guy who took a precipitous drop over the last couple of seasons. Very much like another player who used to be in England that ended up in Italy that just signed with MLS, but I'll put that aside for another time. The U.S. men's national team hits the field for the first time in 2016 on Sunday against Iceland in Carson, California at the StubHub Center. Klinsman's low-key camp and a mix of veterans and youth make it hard to know what to expect uh, from the Americans on Sunday. We'll be watching for a certain uh, number of players to maybe make a mark. If you've seen the level players like, say, Darlington Nagby makes Disgrude, maybe the creative element in the absence of people like Clint Dempsey, um, maybe they can uh, establish themselves a little bit more. In Klinsman's thinking going forward, you've got March qualifiers, you've got Copa America uh, 2016 happening this summer in the United States, a big tournament there, lots of opportunity. What we learn in a friendly against a weak Iceland side, because this is not Iceland's best squad, this is not a FIFA window, um, is in the, you know, we'll, we'll, it's a subjective thing. We'll see if Klinsman, uh, gets anything out of this. The U23 contingent, including Matt Polster, Kellen Acosta, Tim Parker, Eric Miller, Brandon Vincent, Will Trapp, they're all working towards a March showdown with, uh, Colombia for a spot in the 2016 Olympics down in Brazil. That's a tournament that would uh, definitely help the U.S. program and the U23s. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if um, these players can do something over the course of these two games, Iceland and then Canada, to maybe show whether or not uh, Andy Herzog's got enough to get the job done against Colombia. Uh, just a, a side on that, uh, Stephen Goff of the Washington Post reporting that originally the plan was to play the home leg against Colombia at uh, Avaya Stadium in San Jose. That has fallen through. Right now, the Federation is looking at uh, Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas, home of FC Dallas, as a potential site of that game against Columbia. I hope uh, if we can get this settled and they can promote that game, I hope the United States could sell out Frisco, uh, F- uh, Toyota Stadium, for a game against Columbia with, for a chance to go to the Olympics. Is that possible, or am I? is that a, a dream that I'm, it's not going to happen? Anyway. Weekend games coming up. England heads into an FA Cup fourth round weekend with Derby County hosting Manchester United, Palace hosting Stoke, Liverpool hosting West Ham, fresh off their League Cup semi-final triumph. Other games include League One side Colchester hosting Tottenham, League Two's Carlisle hosting Everton, Reading hosting League One side Walsall. A bunch of uh, interesting matchups in the FA Cup fourth round. Uh, 14 Premier League sides still remain in the tournament. In Spain, Barcelona plays host to Atleti. Massive showdown of two of the top teams in the league, the top two teams in the league. Meanwhile, Real Madrid hosts uh, Espanyol as they attempt to get back on the right side of things uh, with uh, Zinedine Zidane in charge. Uh, Juve looking to continue their streak of 11 straight wins in Serie A. 
away to Kievo, Verona, a bunch of other games of interest uh, in Italy as uh, as well. Uh, you've got German games coming up, of course. We're going to talk to Russ Dunbar momentarily. The, uh, the, the game today, Mainz versus uh, Gladbach. You do have uh, Bayern Munich on Sunday against Hoffenheim. Werder Bremen uh, in the news in the American uh, soccer scene. Maybe not because of any Americans playing there as Aaron Johansson still tries to get healthy. But they're hosting Hertha Berlin, which is uh, the home of another American, John Brooks. There you go. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We will talk to Ross Dunbar from DW Sports about all things German football in just a moment. It is Soccer Morning, the last time on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning. Uh, seems like as good a day as any to talk some German football with our friend Ross Dunbar. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at RossDunbar93. He works for DW Sports and Fox Soccer as well. Hi, Ross. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. How are you? I, I'm doing well. Um, if I, I say Friday's a good day to talk Bundesliga, partly because they have a, a Friday game, so we can certainly talk about what's coming up today, but look ahead to the rest of the weekend as well. But I think there are a couple of other intriguing stories coming out of Germany. You just, you just tipped me to one, um, right before we came on the air, and that's the situation of Bayern Munich. Um, you know, obviously we know Pep Guardiola has already said he's leaving in the summer. Uh, this is a club that, that doesn't do, calm very well despite the fact they're dominating the league and, and they expect to win everything uh, what's the situation right now Bayern Munich as, as we understand it um so last week obviously uh Bayern Munich uh, narrowly beat Hamburg uh, to kick off the second half of the season but the big, the big story from that day was the injury to Jerome Boateng um he's obviously going to be out for three months now at such a crucial point in the season um and anyone I think who's watched Bayern will know that Boateng is the cornerstone of that team he defensively is he's outstanding um, his passing ability is brilliant and uh, again what it what it brings into the limelight is um you know what's going on at Bayern's training ground because he He's the 14th player this year to have a soft tissue injury. Uh, now that doesn't happen um, out of bad luck. That happens maybe through you know too much demand on the players and, and whatnot. Uh, Karl Heinz Rüniger, the, the chief executive, came out uh, after the game and blamed the German FA for this, which I don't really understand how how the two are uh, linked. But uh, it seemed that he was trying to deflect it away from uh, the criticism on Pep Guardiola at the moment, and there's been a lot of scrutiny as to you know whether. Guardiola is asking too much of his players. Obviously, last year there was the fallout between Guardiola and the long-serving club doctor, Dr. Milo Wolfart. He left uh, in April last year. Apparently, there was a lot of friction between the two, uh, especially around the treatment of Thiago, who went for, for, for private treatment rather than getting treated by the club doctor. So this has all been rumbling in the background. And uh, on Thursday... Um, Germany's kind of main sports magazine, Kicker, which comes out twice a week, uh, published a story uh, which um, suggested that the atmosphere at Bayern Munich 
um, certainly isn't very good at the moment. Uh, we talked about a club mole. We've, we've heard this club mole before, apparently, coming out and, and, and giving us some insight. But it seems there's a little bit of friction towards Guardiola. There's been some public comments that would suggest that maybe the players weren't so happy with the fact that he announced his departure halfway through the season. So it, it really kind of, even though Bayern Munich are eight points clear and we expect them to win the league, it really creates a very interesting narrative now going into the uh, such a such an important part of the season where you've got the Champions League coming back next month, you have the Boateng injury, you have you know the atmosphere in the camp, and I'm really interested to see how that pans out and, and whether maybe that will... Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to collapse, but it might it right. might make them a little bit shakier. There's so many layers there. I mean, certainly the, the Guardiola departure is is the overarching connection between all of the. Because to me, I imagine that Pep Guardiola doesn't feel uh, and, and 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 you know his philosophy is his philosophy. It's not exa- it's not as though this is new for him. But it, it, I would imagine he doesn't really feel any responsibility to necessarily you know put his uh, 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 keep his players fresh considering he's trying to rush his way to a Bundesliga title, a Champions League title on his way out the door. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that was to, to me, that was the interesting message out of the press conference when he announced that he was going to leave was, you know, this is a guy who, you know, has got probably a, 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 an era-defining six months ahead. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, he's going to be defined on what he does in the Champions League. And if, you know, you announce that you're leaving in six months, then it's really an easy stick to beat someone with. You know, if, if things go wrong or go off the rails, it's very easy to go back to that and say, well, you know, the manager or the head coach shouldn't be announcing six months before the end of the season that he's going to leave. And I, I kind of thought there was a bit, a bit of an arrogance about the whole press conference to announce that he was leaving as well. It seemed to be... You know what you had maybe in the states with LeBron James announcing, "Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that." It was it was all about Pep Guardiola, and it was a very interesting dynamic that Bayern Munich didn't seem to have the power. The power lay with with Pep Guardiola, obviously, well, I mean, who we expect will go to England in the summer. Yeah, and and then he has to in the aftermath of the uh, of the press conference, he has to say things like, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to unsettle my English colleagues, etc., or my English based colleagues." And he he does, you know, look. He, the world has done a wonderful job of building up Pep Guardiola's ego. And I'm sure he had a, a pretty vibrant ego to begin with. But since the move from, from Barcelona to Bayern Munich, it, it's been about him. And, and for that club, for FC Hollywood, to be so about one, one guy, to be about the, the manager that way, I imagine it's ruffling some feathers. I, I mean, I don't know what else to add to this, Ross. You could, you can tell me, how does Bayern Munich how does Bayern Munich get their sh- ship righted before, either before he leaves or as soon as he does leave? And, and I imagine we're going to see a sort of reactionary appointment after this, someone who's going to be a lot less uh, focused on the spotlight than Pep Guardiola. Yeah, yeah. so Picardo Ancelotti in the summer, so, so right. exactly, exactly right. that. Basically, the, the ever-diplomatic Guardiola, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who's worked under Berlusconi and Florentino Perez and these guys. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I mean, I, I, I get the impression that this is a very German thing that, you know, one guy coming out and having the ego and having the power, I'm not really sure that would sit well with Bayern Munich. You know, this this massive institution that uh, for so long has been run by, you know, the core of of, of the club, you know, Rummenigge, Hoeneß, Beckenbauer, these guys, um, are, you know, are Bayern Munich through and through. And then right. obviously if Guardiola comes in and he has this ego, it's it might ruffle a few feathers. Um, I, think, I think what will be really important is how the players respond to that. Um, I, I, I certainly don't think guys like Philip Lamb and Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer will have any problems. I'm sure these guys are professional enough to get the job done. But 
when you have guys maybe like Frank Ribéry coming back from injury and Mehdi Benatia and Mario Gusa, all of whom might not even be in the starting eleven, that might become a problem. If you have players who maybe aren't playing, uh, maybe Arjen Robin perhaps doesn't play enough, or maybe Lewandowski who apparently has been linked with a move to Real Madrid. If all of these dynamics work at the same time, you may have a situation where the atmosphere in the camp continues to be uh, yeah, certainly, as they described it, not good going into the Champions League uh, knockout stages. Yeah. I, I, I certainly understand the desire to pin this on Guardiola or or whatever, but in a larger sense, Ross, what what do you make of uh, of the injury situation at Bayern Munich? I mean, certainly this has been something that's uh, that's been thrown at Arsene Wenger at Arsenal as well. Maybe the the training staff isn't isn't good enough, or, or it's doing the wrong things. Uh, maybe the, the the manager is running the the players ragged, but it seems to be to me that there's a there's a bigger question about players in a modern football context, and, and maybe the rigors of the game, and and uh, you know these these as you said soft tissue injuries becoming so prevalent at this point that it uh, it, it bears a reassessment maybe of of how players are being brought through and how they're being used. Yeah, yeah, it's a fa- it's a fascinating discussion. I mean, there's a, there was a fantastic analysis. Uh, on the website Spielverlagerung, which is basically a tactical analysis website in German. And it was, you know, looking at, you know, the theory behind, uh, you know, the, what they call, you know, periodization when it comes to coaching, you know, making sure that you're not overloading the players when it comes to, to, um, to training sessions and whatnot. And, and obviously working it around such an intense schedule. I mean, I think what's also interesting, even though this has been rumbling on for so long, is that Bayern Munich have just come off a five-week winter break, um, and there's been a little bit of a, a scrutiny over actually what Bayern were doing in, in Doha, because um, you know the training sessions generally are open here in Germany, so you generally, if you're a journalist, you can go along and actually see what's going on. But in Doha, um, I believe there was only like two training sessions out of maybe you know ten days of of practice that were open to the public, so you couldn't really get a, an idea as to what was what was actually going on. And you know, I read some comments, um, you know, in the German media that even suggested some of the German players. Uh, Bayern Munich were a little bit overweight coming back from from the Middle East. So, <laughs> I mean, this is such an interesting dynamic. And as you say, I mean, I think this is now being realised as an issue that can be can be dealt with. I mean, generally in the past we've said, okay, you know, injuries are sometimes down to bad luck, sometimes down to tackles. But I think there's now an acceptance that you know muscle strains and soft tissue injuries can be can be dealt with, and it's now the responsibility of the of the coach and and the management to deal with that. Very, very, very interesting. Obviously, Bayern Munich is the, uh, the 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 power in the Bundesliga. There are obviously big clubs within that league, although they're not going to chase down. We don't expect them to chase down Bayern Munich for the for the league title. Certainly, they they rate in the European context. And this brings me to some recent comments before we get into the league itself, uh, Ross, from Christian Seifert, who's the CEO of the Bundesliga. This is the return of the Super League discussion. The return of um, you know, turning the Champions League into something that is um, more akin to to a full league with a full season. I, I haven't read through all of these comments. Um, you know, these this stuff has come up in the past. I, I guess it's interesting, but but it seems as though German uh, Ger- German executives are are want to talk about this stuff more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that's that's all about a paradox there because you'd expect German 
uh, officials and executives to maybe brush this kind of thing off and say, okay, we're not we're not going to buy into this pressure from England to have this European Super League. But in the last few days, it's been Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Christian Seifert, the, the CEO of the Bundesliga, who have who have almost opened the door to this discussion. Uh, I, I listened to the press conference with Gianni Infantino last week, and, and he said exactly the same thing. They would open the door to the discussion. Um, but I I'm still not sure how this is actually going to work. I mean, in the past, this obviously this debate about a European league has been rumbling on for so long. Um, you know, you go back 10, 15 years and, and the idea was that they would have a European league of the big teams in smaller countries in Europe. So, you, for example, you get maybe the top two teams from Scotland, the top two teams from Holland, from right. Portugal, from Belgium, and they would have their own uh, European Super League. But now it seems that the dynamics have seemed to have changed. You now have a situation where... Um, the clubs who are being suggested now are Bayern Munich, PSG, uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, so I'm not really too sure how this is this is actually going to play out. I mean, if you're an English club and you know, you've just signed this massive TV contract with Sky, I mean, is it in your interest to have a, a European Super League? Would alienate you know domestic supporters? Right. Would it just you know I I I don't really know how that's going to play out. And when you see things like you know, La Liga playing matches at 11 o'clock in the morning just to suit TV audiences in China. I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical as to, you know, what the actual kind of information is here. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, obviously the the the, the, the practical application of, of any Super League plan is, is interesting. I mean, basically what you outlined is the Deloitte Money League being called, you know, being being pulled into a super league situation, and and you you completely you fundamentally alter the structure of European football from top to bottom if you do this, and 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 I, and I wonder what this would mean if if they ever got to this point where it's the Bayern Munich, the PSG, certainly the money teams, what it would mean for some of these other clubs, the you know the mid table to bottom half clubs in every top league in Europe if they get left out of this situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think you can make maybe some comparisons to the, you know, the NFL and systems like that you have in the states, where you know you can essentially move franchises to different markets. I mean, obviously with uh, this this Los Angeles Rams things, you know, the, the the franchise was moved to LA, obviously because it's a bigger market and there's more, you know, com- commercial interest there. You know, where where would you draw the line? I mean, if you look at the Deloitte Money League, there are so many English Premier League clubs now in the top twenty. You know, would you have? Would you have the whole Premier League being part of the European Super League? I mean, no, we no. look at take a team like West Ham, for example. West Ham is a fairly, you know, average size club when it comes to European standards. But you know, they play in London. They have an Olympic Stadium. They have a rich owner. Does that mean that they're entitled to be in the European Super League over, say, maybe Marseille or Lyon in France or Ajax? I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know how this is going to be done. And then right. you have the question: Would you have promotion relegation? You know, if you're a team like. Uh, Leon or, or those teams I mentioned, uh, and you all of a sudden become relegation fodder in, right. in a European Super League, would you not become a little bit more disgruntled? Okay, we would much rather be part of Ligue 1 where we were, where we were winning most of the time. Right. So uh, yeah. I don't really know how this is going to play out, but Very unfortunately, I think now more than ever it seems closer. Yeah, look, there, there certainly is a movement, and, and a lot of, I know a lot of of, of European football fans will put this at the feet of the Americans because of our, our the influence of of the big money NFL and, and certainly the way that uh, that MLS has done things in terms of closing shop and and protecting protecting big clubs from from having to to worry about things like uh, like relegation. I mean, we've seen with Chelsea, it's not impossible that a big club be pulled into that kind of 
uh, into that kind of scrap. And if Chelsea's in a closed Super League situation, they don't have to worry about it. Now, maybe their a a bottom table, a bottom of the table finish is a disaster for them, or maybe not, because it's fundamentally a different kind of of operation. Now, I I I just again, there's so many ramifications to this that it it it's almost not worth talking about because we don't know what kind of form it would take. If you had to guess, and and you said we're moving again towards this, or at least it seems as though there's some momentum here. The Germans, Seifert, Karlsheinz, Rummenigge, who else? I mean, who else would need to be involved here? We're talking, you know, we're obviously talking by uh, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. We're talking about the big Premier League sides. We're talking about, you know, the Premier League's uh, executives saying outwardly that they would welcome this idea for their top teams because they don't want to lose those clubs, especially when they got the Sky deal. Yeah, sure, but I mean, if, if if you take into account the kind of main super clubs in Europe, you know, your Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, uh, Manchester United, and PSG, possibly, um, you have only five teams. I mean, what what do you do after that? Do you do you bring in Tottenham and teams like that? I mean, I'm not, no disrespect to Tottenham, but I mean, they've not won anything for for so long. I mean, are they being classed as being an elite team in Europe? I, I really don't know how it's going to work. I mean, if I was going to guess at how it was going to pan out, I could imagine a situation where you have uh, a bit like this International Champions Cup pre-season tournament that, that's been taking place in the last few years. You've had four or five teams playing intense kind of round-robin fixtures in different cities around the world. So, for example, you maybe would have you know Real Madrid playing Manchester United in, I don't know, New York, or you'd have Barcelona against PSG in Shanghai. That I yeah. get the impression that's yeah. what might happen. Well, that, 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 but that again, that that fundamentally messes with the 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 structure. I, I look, I'm a pretty traditional guy, Ross. So I, I I find it I find change kind of scary on that front, even if it if it's exciting on one level. And I understand, you know, from a business perspective, why they would want to do this. So are you going to replace you're going to replace your league matches with a Super League match that takes place in Shanghai? I mean, that's. Again, that's so fundamentally different in terms of how we we play the game. And right now, it pretty much uh, you could argue there's a bubble. Even it seems as though there's plenty of money to go around for some of these big clubs. There's plenty of oil money to back PSG and Manchester City and and some of these clubs. Why is this necessary? Why why that? I, I mean, that's the fundamental question, right? Why is it necessary? Uh, well, it's, it's probably capitalism, isn't it? You just want to <laughs> you just want to make more and more profits, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, all of these clubs I mean, will be owned by. I mean, if you look at it now, I mean, the influence that certainly Qatar has on a lot of big clubs in Europe and, and now the ever-increasing influence that you have in China, I mean, this is just, how it's panning, yeah. panning out. But I mean, what would be interesting to me is, I mean, would you keep a league format? I mean, yes, that's, right. probably, that's probably the fundamental difference between maybe the NFL and European leagues is that we play this over 38, you know, 38 games. It's not played over playoffs and right. conferences yep. and stuff like that. Maybe that's maybe that's the future of, of the European Super Oh, yeah, breaking it out into geographical conferences and having teams make playoffs. Wow, that's so... <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. I, I mean, I, I imagine lawsuits. I mean, that's what I, that's what I imagine. Like, if, if something like this was being put into place, I imagine not only lawsuits from teams that have really no shout but may, may say you're affecting our ability to, to make money and, and compete if you take Manchester United out of the Premier League, for example. Or, I mean, again, if this is replacing their domestic league on their schedule, or or lawsuits between clubs. I mean, if 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 Celtic gets left out at the at the you know because Tottenham's in, or Galatasaray gets left out, or some, some there's going to be lawsuits, right? 
Uh, you you would imagine so, and I mean, also if you, I mean, if you're if you're Richard Scudamore, you know, chief executive of the Premier League, and you've just signed this massive multi-billion-pound contract with Sky, um, I would imagine there's going to be ramifications if Manchester United say, "Oh well, hold on, we're going to go and play in Shanghai against Barcelona yep. for the rest yep. of the season." Oh yeah, Sky, Sky's not going to be too happy about that. <laughs> NBC over here won't be too happy about that. There are people with clout and lawyers who would have a a fit. Now, if they managed to figure out how UEFA or whoever's running this thing decides that, or the, the ECA decides that they're going to mollify those, those interests somehow. I mean, that's possible too. I mean, certainly we've seen FIFA do it, uh, uh with, with numerous different things. All right. So we, we, that's, we, again, we can have that discussion all day long. Let's, let's look at the league. Again, you've got Bayern Munich at the top of the table, Pep Guardiola trying, trying for a treble, I imagine. Um, how, how seriously, just, just before we get to the league, how seriously is the cup campaign for Bayern Munich and for Pep? I mean, the Champions League is the target and they're running away with, with the Bundesliga. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, I mean, I think, I think the, you know, the next six months will be kind of almost either defining for Guardiola. He has to, uh, obviously get Bayern Munich to the semi-finals. I think that's the bare minimum. But I think when it comes to his reign as, as, as coach, I think people will assess, you know, whether he's won the European Cup. That will be the big, kind of reflection, I think, in years to come. So really, with an eight-point lead, I mean, all Bayern really have to do now is kind of turn up, win games, and then do the business in, in, in the Champions League. But, uh, you know, as I said in one of my pieces uh, at the winter, you know, the, the margin of error at that stage of the competition is so fine that I think it's a little bit unfair just to start pigeonholing, you know, Guardiola's reign into one particular area. I mean, but I mean, what'll be interesting, I think, you know, certainly from 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 the league's point of view, is can Dortmund be consistent enough to, you know, bite away at Bayern Munich? You know, if Bayern, Bayern Munich will inevitably drop points somewhere, and obviously the two teams have got to play each other again, and Bayern have still got to play Wolfsburg and Schalke and Leverkusen teams do who have the the capability of taking points off them. I mean, I wonder whether Dortmund can be consistent enough to, to you know, keep biting away, bring that that points tally down, and maybe by the end of the season you you might have a little bit of a title race. But you know, it's 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 unlikely. Yeah, as you said, it's an eight point gap right now. Bayern Munich top of the table, Dortmund uh, forty one points, eight points back, and then it's it's another uh, it's an, it's another eight points to Hertha in third place. So you've got some some separation there. Things are. Are kind of spreading out um, across the the league. So when you look at the the weekend schedule here, w- w- I mean, uh, we're just we're just we just got games. I mean, is there anything that that really stands out as as potentially important to any of the races? Right. I mean, obviously the bottom of the table, we've got the, the the relegation battle. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this weekend there's there's not a huge amount of top games, but I mean, I think tonight you have uh, Mainz against Borussia Mönchengladbach. That's an interesting game because last week none of the the main contenders for a Champions League place actually won a game. So you have a situation where it's almost like the Premier League title where nobody wants to qualify for the Champions League. You know, they're all dropping points right, left and centre. And tonight, uh, Gladbach um, will be interesting to watch because they were really disappointing last week against Dortmund. And I think the wheels have come off a little bit for Andre Schubert. They've they lost a few games towards the end of the first half of the season. They lost 5-0 at Leverkusen, for example, where... Hernandez scored a hat trick for, for Leverkusen. And so, I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether he can pick that, 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 that form back up again. Uh, Granite Jacka is still suspended. Uh, they have, um, a couple of other injuries. Uh, Jonas Hoffman, who, one of the new signings is injured as well. And uh, they're going to a Mainz team who, you know, is, you know, maybe five, four or five points behind Gladbach, you know, in eighth or ninth place. So it shows you how competitive that area of the table actually is. And they will be boosted by the fact that, 
Uh, Yunus Mali, their top goal scorer, won't be signing for Borussia Dortmund this year. Um, there's talk of perhaps going to England in the summer, but uh, that's a really interesting game, I, th- I-, I think. And uh, on on Saturday night, you have Stuttgart against Hamburg, um, you know, two big clubs in Germany. Um, I believe that it's being broadcast on Fox uh, Free to Air TV I, this yeah, weekend. I think so that's right. Yeah. That's that I think that'll be a game of particular interest, and obviously both teams, you know, in the last few years have have been relegation candidates, but now it seems to be that they are beginning to uh, get back to you know a more stable way of, of competing. You know, they're, they're kind of mid-table clubs at the moment, and Stuttgart um, have picked up eight points in the last four games, so that shows that there's been a massive improvement in their in, in their performances under the new coach uh, Jurgen Kramny. So um, that game, I think, for me, will be quite interesting on on Saturday. You've got uh, get third place from Hertha, as I mentioned, uh, taking uh, uh, away to Werder Bremen, and, and Werder Bremen has been in the news here in the states for obvious reason, Ross and. Uh, not only do we have, did we have the Jordan Morris thing, um, you know, Aaron Johansson is still there. I, I, I don't, it, it's, it's been so long and his recovery has been long enough that he sort of dipped off the radar. He's not part of the U.S. national team picture right now, at least, uh, obviously it's not a, it's not a FIFA window as, the, as there's an American camp happening. So that's, 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 um, that, that's not really the issue. The issue is his injury. How long until we can expect to see Aaron Johansson on the field for Werder Bremen? Um, I, I from what I from what I read, you know, during the winter break, I, I still think that there's, there's there's at least a few weeks still to go. Um, I mean, like you say, he's dropped off the radar quite substantially for the last few months. I mean, I mean, I think it's unfair to criticise the guy, obviously, if he's been sure. if he's been injured. Um, and you obviously you mentioned there about the, the you know the whole Jordan Morris debate. I mean, the, the, the kind of impression here in Germany was a little bit of bemusement. Actually, I mean, I think I mean I don't think MLS is particularly popular here or particularly prominent, but. Sure. Um, I think people expected him to, you know, take the deal that was offered from, from, from Bremen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think it was just like a sense of, you know, well, Bremen have asked him, so he should accept it. I mean, I I, I don't really have a big opinion on it either way personally. I mean, I understand Sounders as a big club and you know, challenging for titles and things like that. So I can see why he would want to do that. But when a club like Bremen, the Bremen, you know, is offering the chance to be. Probably a first choice striker in the Bundesliga. I, I, I find that a little bit strange that you wouldn't take that offer. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, the, the 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 debate over that decision has obviously been raging here for quite some time. Um, it, it's being seen as a victory for MLS, clearly. But look, it's whatever's down, you know, whatever is is best for the player individually. And he's he was labeled, and this is the thing, that, of course, that's gonna that, that I worry might stick to him because we do have in our history uh, Landon Donovan's time at, at Leverkusen and the and the quote unquote failure there. Um, he was labeled homesick by by the by the uh, the CEO of Bremen, Thomas Eichen. Is that? I mean, do you think that that's sort of? covering themselves because they were turned down by by a player you would expect to take the offer or do you really believe that that's his opinion yeah i mean i think that's probably business speak for for exactly that i think they'll be quite embarrassed to to have lost out on him especially given there was so much publicity about morris being on trial you know with the team during the winter training camp i mean they were tweeting pictures of him being there and the english account obviously was 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 quite prominent in that but um, yeah, I mean, I, I found it quite interesting that that Morris said that when he joined uh, the Bremen training in Germany, he was already convinced that he wanted to to sign for Sounders. I don't know. I don't know why that would be the case. I mean, whether maybe he wasn't felt you know feel very welcome there. I don't. I don't know exactly what the real issue was. But I know that certainly, I think the the impression in Germany certainly is a little bit of of confusion because Bremen are a team obviously who are fighting against relegation but obviously a huge club in, in that yeah. part of the country but they don't have um, you know maybe 
reliable centre forwards. You know, Claudio Pizarro is you know thirty seven years old. Right. Anthony Uja is probably the only kind of main forward they've got. So I mean, from what I can see, he would have been a he would have been a, a pretty important player for them. Very interesting that I mean, because I think the, a lot of the discussion here re- revolved around the fact that he might not play, and that that going to the Sounders was a better option for playing time for a twenty year one year old just starting his professional career. And there was also some, I think, the incredulous uh, the the uh, the, the it was hard for us to believe, or a lot of Americans to believe, that a player turning pro at 21 would be good enough to walk into a Bundesliga team and maybe compete for minutes, Ross. But that speaks to, I think, as you said, Werder's situation, maybe certainly Jordan Morris's talent, and, and based on the way that Werder Bremen was publicizing his, uh, his stint there, maybe some marketing elements too. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, I think um, there's, there's an element to that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... They would have loved to have have an American player in their in their ranks. I mean, you you see how the Bundesliga or the DFL, the league is trying to market the league to North American audiences. It's it's very much about the personalities. You know, they're very much trying to sell guys like Chicharito and Fabian Johnson. These are the guys who will you know, perhaps get American tuned in. But I mean, I was I was at the game uh, against Germany, the USC against Germany, and uh, I think he came off the bench from the last fifteen minutes, and I thought he looked really good. I thought, I mean, I was very surprised that. He's a guy who's playing collegiate football at Stanford and then, you know, hasn't started his professional career. But from what I can see, certainly he would have added uh, something different to Bremen's team. And, and, you know, they don't have that in the moment. And from what I can see as well, they're obviously looking to try and add one or two more forward players uh, before the end of the window. Very interesting. Uh, speaking of of, of, of- well, this is, I tried to do a, uh, I tried to, to get myself into a transition there and I failed mightily. But let's talk about Jurgen Klopp, um, at Liverpool. Um, I, first of all, I, I'd love to get your perspective on the German perspective on, on Klopp at Liverpool, especially with all of the, the publicity over his celebration against Norwich on the weekend and not watching the penalties and just the character that Jurgen Klopp is having been moved over to the English, um, stage and then, also, some of these rumors that perhaps he's looking to poach some talent out of the Bundesliga for his project. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of his character, I think everybody knew that he would be remarkably popular in England because, you know, when he was at British Dortmund, you know, you remember the press conferences when, when they were playing against English teams, the English media would absolutely love him. Um, I think he's obviously very refreshing, re- refreshing personality in English football at the moment. And uh, so I can understand why... You know, there's such a warmth to him. The, the, the lingering debate, I think, over Klopp's time at Borussia Dortmund was the fact that he didn't adapt the team in the last 18 months. Tactically, there's a massive question mark still over him. Uh, he plays, obviously, this high-pressing, mm-hmm. or what he calls full-throttled football. But there's a, there, maybe, maybe there's a sense that he doesn't have the tactical acuity to adapt his team when that isn't working. What I find interesting is that you know, even though pressing is such a you know a fundamental component of the game in English football, you have such an intense speed to the game anyway. So I mean, yeah, yeah. does that not maybe render the pressing, the high pressing system a little bit obsolete? Because you know every team is pressing, every team is you know challenging for the ball, and I think mm. the biggest test for Klopp will be whether he can actually adapt this team into a side that you know, has the ability to put their foot on the ball and to dominate games. A bit like what you see from Man City, you know, at times under under Pellegrini. I'm not I'm I'm not really too sure if he has the you know the you know, maybe the, the talent to do that. I mean, I think it will be interesting to see what kind of players he brings in from Germany. Um, the, the the kind of the main rumor is uh, Joel Matip from Schalke. Uh, he's a very um, 
a very powerful, quite, uh, you know, quite, um, t- technically good centre half. Um, he actually had a really good season, Matty, I think, for Schalke. Normally there was always a question mark about his concentration. He was that kind of defender who would switch off at important moments, but he's had a good season and obviously his contract runs out at the end of the season. And I think that, to me, that looks like quite, uh, an almost kind of, kind of nailed on transfer. I think that looks like it's going to happen. Mm. Uh, you have also Nevin Subotic from, from Borussia Dortmund, yeah. player the club worked with, both at Dortmund and at Mainz. Subotic is not part of Thomas Tuchel's plans at the moment, so I certainly wouldn't rule that one out either. Um, and obviously, if you, if you can get two centre-halves of that quality, I think that has to add something to, to his team. Uh, I'm interested to see maybe whether he dips in for maybe a midfielder, midfield-type player, maybe someone like Sebastian Roda at Bayern Munich who maybe isn't playing regularly, but would be the type of player I think who would certainly suit Klopp's style of play. So, I mean, I think there's, I think there's certainly value for English clubs here. I mean, if you look at the, you look at the figures, you've seen that Newcastle United have spent more money than the Bundesliga combined. So yeah. they obviously can have the pick of the talent if they want it. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, by the way, it's stunning to me that Subodic is still only 27 years old after everything we went through with him over here. Anyway, uh, Ross Dunbar, Ross Dunbar, 93 on uh, Twitter. Make sure you're following him, especially for updates. On everything German football, uh, but be also beyond. Ross, appreciate the time as always. Brilliant uh, chat, and I'm sure we'll be uh, in touch soon. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. There goes uh, Ross. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines. Talk to you on a Friday. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning. Serious. Man, Friday. Just a, it's Friday. WorldSoccerTalk.com for the last time. Um, as of Monday, you're going to want to go to Backhill.com for all things Soccer Morning. That's just the way to go. You're probably already subscribed to an iTunes feed. Don't worry about that. You're probably good there. Uh, if it's if it's the backheel.com soccer morning only feed if you subscribe to us through the worldsoccertalk.com feed you're going to have to change i think that's right i don't want to confuse anybody just go to backheel.com okay and if you end up subscribing twice whatever at least you've got us all right every day right here yeah backheel.com slash live as well if you want to listen uh, watch or, or listen to the live show and the youtube channel Directly there should be a thing. Should work. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. There is a couple of things we can talk about here this morning. Of course, looking ahead to an FA Cup weekend, I've got my man Robert out in L.A. asking me for an FA Cup upset for a cup set. Oh, I hate that word so much. An FA Cup set. Not fun. I, I don't have any idea about how good Colchester Bury, Oxford, Carlisle, uh, Reading, and uh, Walsall, uh, Shrewsbury. I don't have any idea how good those teams are. None whatsoever. But if I'm going to pick an upset, I'm going to pick MK Dons beating Chelsea. <laughs> just, just because. 
because MK, MK Dons fascinates me. I am, you know, look, as an American who grew up in an American sports context before MLS was ever a thing, before soccer was really a major part, uh, professional soccer was a major part of what we talked about week to week in sports. Um, you know, the idea that a club could move or a team could move from one city to another, it offended me. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was, it wasn't something I liked. Didn't like that, you know, the, the Browns left Cleveland. Um, I, I, I didn't like that. Who, who else relocated during my youth? I'm thinking the, the Arizona Cardinals became a thing when I was like seven or eight years old because they had been in St. Louis previous to that. Uh, I'm trying to think of, obviously we have recently, there's some recent history, but MK Dons, the only English club to have moved from one locale to another, having moved from Wimbledon to, um, Milton Keynes, uh, fa- again, fascinating. And I, I'm not, what I'm saying is I'm not quite as, as offended as the English typically are by the very existence of MK Dons. It's not that I root for MK Dons. And trust me, I understand that Wimbledon got screwed. Out of their team. But, you know, it's still fascinating to see if MK Dons can do anything. If MK Dons ever made it to the Premier League, I'm pretty sure we'd have mass riots across the country, across England. I'm guessing. I don't know. So it's, that's the way they act sometimes. So I'll take MK Dons over Chelsea. All right. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Let's, uh, we can also throw a Freddie Adu out into this mix because Freddie has recently done an interview with Iva Scholarship that showed up at goal, goal.com. In said interview, Freddie Adu took responsibility for his career. Now, okay, there's a couple of things here. One, good for Freddie. If this is the way Freddie feels, he needs to approach his career in order to get things going. And, and I don't want to have the argument about his age. He says he's 26. We're just going to go with that for now, okay? Because the simplest way to go, I'd ra- rather than get bogged down into an argument about how old Freddie Adu actually is, because I know your tr- your your birth your Freddie Adu birthers out there, you love to you love to go hard on this. It's over. Let it go, okay? Maybe he's not 26, but let it go. Freddie Adu has some years left. That's the way he's painting this picture, and of course, having been. Hyped up at the age of 14 years old to the point of just insanity. He certainly has some excuses to be made if he wants to use them. But he's also said, while he's saying, yes, of course, being 14 years old and having all this heaped upon me, I didn't ask to be called the next Pele. Of course, that was too much. But it doesn't mean that I haven't made many, many mistakes throughout the years. Just a couple of of choice quotes here again from Ivis' piece over at Gold.com. I'm not going to lie, that stuff bothers me. It hurts when he talks about people calling him a failure. I'm only 26. Yes, I've had some tough times in my career. I've had some great times as well. In the end, I can't control what people say. It wasn't my choice or decision to be compared to Pele when I, come, when I came into the league. And I, and I maintain the, the most fascinating possible 30 for 30 or sports documentary that can be made about American soccer right now is a full examination of what happened in 2004 around Freddie Adu. And I'm just talking about just that year or just that period, that brief period of time when Freddie Adu went from 
phenomenally talented youngster playing in the D.C. Metro to the future of MLS, the savior of American soccer, the next Pele, and MLS's golden child. I want to know what happened there. I want to know who made decisions that ultimately put Freddie Adu on such a pedestal. I want to know who at Sierra Mist thought it was a good idea to put Freddie Adu in commercials with Pele at 14. Reportedly 14. Whatever. I want to know all that. I think it'd be amazing. Now, it may not happen until Freddie's retired, or it may not happen until the, the, the powers that be at the time are out of their same jobs that they have now, because, look, Don Garber was commissioner then, Don Garber's commissioner now. I think Don Garber probably has something to answer for when it comes to Freddie Adu. We might not get that until he's done as MLS commissioner. Freddie goes on to say things like, everything that I've been through and everything that hurt my career, I brought it on myself because I didn't dedicate enough time to it. You can say, oh, I had a lot early, or say whatever you want. But at the end of the day, we all need to grow up at some point, and that has just hit me all this offseason. It really did. Look, and, and here's the thing. If, if Freddie Adu had any other job, now he wouldn't be as, as famous, it wouldn't be as, he wouldn't be as scrutinized, but if Freddie Adu had any other job, even whatever, if Freddie Adu had any other job and figured it out at 26, we'd go, oh, okay, you know, at least, at least he figured it out at 26. You know, you all have that buddy in high school or college or in your 20s. Maybe it was your roommate. Maybe it was just a friend who couldn't figure out his life at all in his 20s. Just didn't get it. Didn't understand. Just couldn't focus. Went through job after job. Just never really found himself. And then one day, maybe it clicked for him. I, I Somebody very close to me for whom that's true. Couldn't figure it out. Just rolled through crappy job after crappy job until one day that he, he finally got himself together. Now, it took somebody else coming into his life, but he finally got himself together and said, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to commit myself to. And now it's, it's, it all worked. Maybe that's where Freddie Adu finally is at 26 years old. And again, I'm not going to begrudge him the opportunity to find himself. The unfortunate part of this, of course, is that it's a waste of all of that talent. And he's, he's admitting to a waste of all of that talent. I've looked back on these past few years, and I've wasted a lot of time, wasted years of my career, just not dedicated the time I should have to the sport. That's time wasted. Lucky for, lucky for me, I started so early that time wasted doesn't mean I'm 33 or 34, and it's too late for me. I'm only 26, and I can change and correct things I've done wrong, and that's why I'm focused on right now. Bo on Twitter, I still want to know how Adu regressed. It's not just that he didn't improve. He went from legit MLS All-Star to, right? I mean, look, uh, I think that as you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a professional soccer player, Bo. I, I don't know exactly how this works, but I imagine that if you don't put in the effort, if you're not putting in the work, if you're not attempting to stay sharp, it's pretty easy to fall back and become a, a pretty average player. Let's talk to uh, Bill up in New York. What's up, Bill? Hi, Jason. I want to ask you about Ashley Cole. Do you ever remember a move coming into MLS that everybody was so unified in saying it was a bad move as this one? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Da, 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 da. I think we've had a couple. I can't pull one out of out of my memory. Um. I think maybe Danielson at, at FC Dallas. Uh. Everybody knew that one was going to be a disaster. Um, just because he had already been a, a a journeyman player, despite being a Brazilian World Cup winner, I, I, I beyond that maybe I I don't think I can remember uh, any other words. It, it was universal, like you say. I'm almost thinking now, if 
this somehow works out. And I mean, the only reason why they're doing it, at least I, I think for most people's point of view, is to win the Champions League. If they win the Champions League and this guy ends up being a big part of L.A. winning it, this is probably the best move Bruce Arena's ever made. Because uh, well, everybody's getting in his yeah. ear telling him not to do it, and he's doing it anyway. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it could be put on that level. I still think... Bruce Arena's shining moments are taking players that people don't really rate anymore and having them become seriously strong contributors. Again, he made Dan Garden in, Dan Gargan into a near all star in this league uh, two years ago. That was not expected. You know, he he's he's turned Leonardo into a good defender when it looked like he was going to be a disaster. There, there have been there have been opportunities for Bruce to prove his ability to to find those diamonds. This isn't a diamond in the rough. This is a, a diamond that somebody threw on the side of the road. Maybe it's all dirty, and he's trying to clean it up, but there's no guarantee he's getting it all off. So we'll see. We'll see. You're, you're right in the sense that never before has everybody called out Bruce Arena on a move like this. I mean, I, I haven't heard one person, not one person say, even in the slightest, ah, it's an okay move. Everybody's 100% against now, they, move, well, I, look, how I, awful this I, is going to be. I have seen a couple of people being contrarian on that front. There, there are a couple of writers out there who said this is this could be a good move for LA, but it, it, it's it's a very very small percentage. Tyra, yeah, I just wanted to give a call about that. And if I can throw one more thing with Jermaine Jones, it sounds like he's getting really nervous about this whole situation with himself now that he's going to have to just play for New England because there's no other offer out there for him. And that, that suspension at the end of last year was really coming back to hurt him big time. And it may hurt the U.S. national team. It's starting to look like more and more to me. Well, yeah, you he's d- not going to be able to serve the suspension until he gets on a team. What bothers me about this is he's whining about something that he brought on himself. You can't, you can't, I don't, look, I know it was a handball. Okay. He has every right to beef. New England got screwed, et cetera, et cetera. You can't touch the referee. And Jermaine Jones knows that. So when you do what he did, not only are you going to get a red card, you're going to get a suspension. And as long as other leagues around the world are going to honor a suspension handed down by MLS, it's just his fault. I mean, it sucks it's going to affect the national team if he's still a part of Jurgen Klinsmann's plans. But again, he did this to himself. What is he whining about? He calls he calls the suspension oh, I, crazy. Really. It's, oh, I definitely, I, I definitely agree with you. But to see what is happening to this guy's career and how... I'm I'm really fearful that his U.S. national team career may be over if he doesn't resolve this quickly. Because we're not going to use him two years from now. We're going to use him now, and it doesn't look like he's going to get this resolved in time to be able to take care and yeah, play for the U.S. national. We'll, we'll see. You're right. He may end up signing some a pretty a pretty poor deal with New England. And if he's if he's disgruntled, then yeah, again, he brought that on himself. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens, Bill. You got anything else? No, that's it. Thanks, Jason. All right, thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate the call. Let's uh, check in with Aaron uh, uh, up in Jersey. What's up, Aaron? Hey, how you doing? Uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, actually, follow up on uh, Jones and, and Dempsey, and it, it's really strange how you know some of these guys that are over thirty they played internationally. I mean, they, it, like you said, they have no excuse. I mean, they're they're professionals. I mean, you know, it's like a lawyer pushing a judge. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's yeah, just, right. it, it, you know, it's, and, and, and you can't claim you're in mock trial because you're 20. I mean, you know, you're a 30 year old professional 
Um, I, I just think they lose their heads. And it is, it is a problem that we seem to have these kind of semi-stable over 30-year-old top national players. I mean, and it goes back a ways. I mean, it goes back to Lexi Lawler. I mean, it goes back a long time that we, you know, something just happens with our guys, uh, you know, behaviorally, or they just don't like to kind of find that role. And I, I think, I think a, a lot of it has to do with that. You know, they wind up getting catered to so long mm-hmm. um, that, they, that they really just don't seem to kind of be able to kind of slot that team role and just, you know, kind of do that, you know, final piece of their career. You, you think that you um, think that maybe Jermaine Jones, his head got a little big and he thought he was uh, a little bit better than MLS? I mean, it, better than MLS, I don't even know what that means as a, as a player over 30 that has, you know, done well and – and he's done well all over. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, he hasn't had a superstar career. He's had a solid career, um, you know, outside the U.S. And, and inside the U.S. I just think these guys wind up kind of getting, um, you know, kind of almost super, like sub-superstar in their own little pocket, you yeah. know, cause in the, because, you know, MLS is a bubble, you know, in, in its own world. Um, it doesn't have to really compete outside of its own world for, you know, soccer uh, in the U.S. when it comes to the U.S. And those players really aren't compared to European counterparts. You know, like if you're in Germany and you're next to Italy and there's Champions League, I mean, there's just so many layers going on. I mean, you know, it's, it's like being, it's like working in New York City in some ways and working in Ohio. And that's not to slam Ohio. It's just to say that there's just, there's less density and you, you know, sometimes just think you're better than you might really be, okay. and you get to the back end of your career. Well, yeah, that's the kind of you know that's the, that's the big fish, small pond kind of thing that yeah, you're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. I, and, I, I and, and 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 I've seen that you've seen it with Donovan. I mean, he got really weird in the end. Dempsey, I mean, no Dempsey throw the you know you know the referee notebook. I mean, that was just strange. Uh, um, you know, and and obviously Jones, you know, in a in a in a key moment in a, on a team you know, fighting, you know, to do something that, that stupid is really, you know, kind of insane. I mean, wow. uh, um, but yeah, so anyways, that, that was kind of one piece. Uh, the other one was, that was really interesting is, is your interview earlier with, uh, you know, with the gentleman Ross was, uh, the whole idea of, um, these super clubs really need to have three teams within a team because they have to compete in their own domestic league. They have to compete at, you know, a champions European level, and they kind of have to compete in all these, side competitions, lower tier quality stuff and handle injuries. And I just don't think the roster size, it's almost like an NFL issue. You know, 53 man roster doesn't work. Everyone knows it, you know, it's killing these guys and they don't care. Uh, it's, it's kind of almost a similar thing happening with the modern roster of these big European clubs, um, you know, where they just run out. I mean, they just run out of guys. These guys just get ground down. Um, you know, and, and, and they really don't have a way to kind of manage it. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're a domestic competitor and you're not worrying about Europe, I mean, you're just fighting every week and you've got your, you know, you, yeah. you, you have your depth, uh, especially in, well, I know, mean, it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of puts into perspective all of those, 
all of those um, controversies we get sometimes, like when Arsenal goes into the FA Cup and and puts puts out a quote unquote weak team, uh, or 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 has a league game following a Champions League week with an FA Cup game coming up midweek the following week and puts out a quote unquote weak team, and then we get that discussion in England about whether or not co- uh, managers should be fined for their team selection. First of all, how insulting to the players that got selected for that game, but also. It's, exactly. it's impossible. Like you said, it's, it's nearly impossible. Uh, you, you get a group of elite players, and there's only so many elite players in the world, and we're already seeing a talent consolidation among the biggest clubs, and even they can't trot out. You can't trot out Messi 60 times a year. I mean, he plays 60 games a year between club and country, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and, and if, you, if you're honest about how many did he really play, you know, he probably played 45 of them hard the whole game and the rest of them were kind of managed and you really played him to the max. I mean, number one, if you played him to the max, he wouldn't be playing right now. I mean, the guy would have been ran into the ground in the last few years. And, and, and I mean, what, what I really think the way you, you, you deal with this is that, is that basically if you get the champions, you get an extra couple player slots, maybe two, you know, and I don't mean to kind of blow it up and they get 40 players and it, it, it turns into like, the way college football got in the 80s, you know, when, you know, Oklahoma would have 150 players or something ridiculous like that, you know, but, but you get maybe two extra players. And if you get to your, and to me, this would be an interesting thing is if you got to your a cup, maybe quarterfinals, you might get an extra player. So you create kind of an incentive for the bigger clubs to keep playing hard through the kind of uh, domestic cups. So it's a way to kind of, and of course, they want that extra player, not for the domestic cup. <clears throat> they really want it for for Europe. But point is, is that you give them a tool to kind of grow their roster by maybe ten percent, mm. which is probably all they need. I mean, they don't need nine more players. Mm. They need two, three. I mean, if Germ, if 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 Bayern had three extra slots, you know, I mean, I'm not saying losing a guy like Botang is great, but I think they could manage more effectively and maybe not even lose him yet. Maybe they would have lost him a month from now because they would have managed him already, you know? And so I, I just think, and, and, and it isn't just about Bayern. I think it's all these top 10 to 20 clubs, which is the way it is. I mean, it's the football that, that everyone wants to see. Everyone wants to see athletic Barcelona Saturday. Um, and they, and they want to see the best teams play, but they also want to see them playing champions, you know, a week later. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the idea of the Super League, which is what that discussion with Ross was all about, is it, it, it it's it bothers me a lot because again, it sort of eliminates such a um, a large po- part of of the game and uh, some of the, so many clubs from being uh, even capable of, of of participating. I mean, at least when you talk about the Champions League, yeah, we know that. Uh, that that Shakhtar Donetsk is not going to win the Champions League, but at least they can be in the Champions League. Um, and and you know to a lesser extent, there are clubs like Leicester who can jump up into the Champions League. Leicester's not going to be included in a in a European Super League, so you have es- essentially eliminated the possibility. And and I know this is something that we we can't do here, but I I enjoy that element of European football. It's it's you know. It's it's kind of yeah no I I I completely agree with you I mean number one I think it'll never really work because of the scheduling culture they have um, the second thing that makes it really kind of unfair if you look at history I mean pretend it's you know pretend it's 2016 kind of capabilities but it's 1976 
Manchester United was a terrible team. Leeds United was good. You know, like mm. who would have been in that super? Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's versus, a snapshot. You know. Yeah, it's a it's a window in time situation. I mean, but this is the Premier League in 1992 to a to a certain extent. Um, the clubs have benefited from that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a matter of it's a matter of who's good and who's super at that exact moment because you're setting. You're setting yourself up to have locked this thing in for the next at least 30 years, you imagine, and and that eliminates the poss again that eliminates the possibility of a club becoming getting back to that level or getting to that level. I mean, again, a club like Spurs is incredibly fascinating in that scenario because they're not on the level of Arsenal or Manchester United or Chelsea or Man City, and, and yet they are still probably bigger than some of the clubs that would get in from around Europe, if you know what I mean. It's, it, it's, it's a very strange thing. Yeah, and, 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 you know, what's fascinating is, you know, I mean, the Spurs get a couple of more players, you know, and everyone needs a couple more players in every sport. But if they got the couple more uh, players and maybe, you know, one more level up of a coach because they, they could compete at that, at that European Super League level, maybe a little bit. I mean, who knows what kind of team that becomes. Does that become a winner? No, but does that become kind of a... An English athlete. I mean, you know, which you know. I mean, the truth is that's the model going forward. Is is it's insane to try to spend billions to try to be Bayern. It's smarter to spend smart, kind of a. And I don't like calling it money ball because I really don't think it's money ball. It's it's kind of like a whole different model. It's like kind of the anti money ball, really, in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of old school, good coaching and really sure. smart kind of player selection within a system. Which really isn't Moneyball. No, the, the, there is. I, I I know this is going to sound weird, but I I think Aaron that uh, a club uh, the success for a club like Leicester, for example, and and we've seen some quote unquote smaller clubs pop up and do things in in Spain and Germany and and even in France. Sometimes I think that that distracts us from the from the truth of of the the modern game, which is that. That that money and club size and the clout that these that certainly the amount of debt you can take on if you're a Manchester United or a uh, or, or a City or anybody else not that City needs to but they certainly could if they wanted to means that we've already the, the hierarchy of the the top echelon is already set I mean there's exactly. Leicester may finish in a top four spot they may even win the league this year but that doesn't mean that there's been a a fundamental shift or and it doesn't mean that English football or European football in the general is is more egalitarian and fair all of a sudden it just it just means that there's an adjustment period happening because we already know who the who the clubs are that are that 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 can dominate the money game and nine times out of ten 85 seasons out of a hundred that's going to end up with one of those teams being champion you know i i read this great report on um I mean, on the business side of soccer, and it talks about basically the next 10 years, kind of the new metric. I mean, forget about winning. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, the new metric is the billion-dollar-a-year revenue club, mm-hmm. which, you know, when you think about what that actually means, I mean, you know, the, the, let's call it the, the sporting plus the market power behind a, a billion dollars. And we know that who those clubs are going to be. Or, Well, this is what's interesting about Man City. Is Man City is basically saying, we're going to be one of those clubs, which, you know, if you, someone said that eight years ago or 10 years ago, they, they would have laughed at you. So what's going to be fascinating is when you have kind of a template of a PSG or a Man City, a team that there's no way 10 years ago anyone would have said would have been a billion-dollar-a-year club in, right, in, you know, within 20 years. Um, 
that means at some point, just the same way as sports here got really taken over by large business interests, not the local car dealer kind of, you know, sub mafia guy here, but like, you know, real big corporation type businesses, private equity companies. I can see that start happening in Europe where people go to a, you know, a, a, a logical kind of, you know, underperforming club, a Marseille, even though right. they're a train wreck, but let's say they get reformed somehow. Or I'll pick one that makes no sense. You take Frankfurt or Berlin. I mean, those are massive cities. And the idea that they don't have just awesome football clubs. Right. To me, those are right for, for, for somebody with, you know, crate. I don't mean what we think deep pockets are. I mean, real deep pockets, you know, billions. Um, say on a billion dollar your business platform, which happens to be a soccer club, which could really at that point is just an entertainment company. And I really see that that's going to be very interesting. And, and, and when that happens, I do think the Super League happens yeah. because they need it to happen yeah. because then it becomes really about, you know, this is like American Idol soccer at that point, right? <laughs> I mean, it just becomes this kind of, you know, the best eight, ten clubs just, you know, do their own thing while they happen to do all these other cute things mm. on the side called yeah. play it, and it, leave. It, it, it's, the, it's the stratification uh, of soccer that I think – is is inevitable, but but again, I mean, I said it with uh, with Ross several times. It's so it, it changes the complexion of the game so dramatically. And I know, look, there we have been moving in this direction. The Premier League was one step in this direction. Um, TV money and its influence has obviously made a big difference in in how these clubs think about their future. Uh, and again, the more uh, you you said it, I mean, and and this is this look the people who want to romanticize the game, I understand, but you can't put you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The, these as the, as it goes along, like you said, the, the private equity firms, the 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 oil interests, these ultra rich um, families that take control. What are they going to want to do? I mean, they're business people. They made their money by making smart business decisions. And if you are in a position to lock your team in to a to a stratus uh, to to a stratum that will always maintain their top level status, you're going to do that if you can. You're going to choose to do that. And and there may not be anything anybody else can do, and there may not be enough. Yeah. I mean, this is talking about uh, Aaron. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because this is gonna get real deep, and <laughs> I don't want to I want to go down this rabbit hole yet. But this is why the issue of fan representation in the governing bodies of the world game is a good idea, even if I'm not sure it's ever going to be practical, because there needs to be some interest pushing back against the continued um, what what what's the word. You know, commoditization. That's not even how you say that. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Turning these clubs into again commodities, which are then insured, inured against potential loss because you're finishing tenth in the Premier League. Manchester United is going to protect themselves against finishing tenth in the Premier League by joining the Super League. PSG, Bayern Munich, um, a couple of Italian squads, uh, Juve certainly in that mix. Real Madrid, Barcelona. These teams are going. They're going to choose. They're going to opt in on protecting themselves and going for the big money. The more elite you make yourself, the more money there is to be had. The Champions League is the biggest driver of revenue in world football. Period. Bar none. End of story. For clubs. So if they have an opportunity to ensure that there's not only is there going to be a Champions League every year, but we're going to be playing the big games against the big clubs every single year. And it's not gonna, we're not gonna have to go through all these rounds of games against these little squads. We can make our own league. And now look, instead of, instead of, uh, a tournament, we can do it as a league and guarantee, I mean, 
home home and home Barcelona Real Madrid uh against Manchester United Chelsea every single year against PSG against against uh Bayern Munich every single year the 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 people's eyes fill up with dollar signs Greg in Memphis you're on the air Hi Jason how are you doing this morning I am do I'm all fired up about money and the game it's crazy Greg what what do you got for me Okay uh yeah so I wanted to talk about um American soccer youth development. Oh, you do, do you? Um, <laughs> okay, Greg. Yeah, that's right. Let's fix the problem right <laughs> here, you and me. I'm a podcast listener, so I'm, I'm still on Monday as far as soccer news is concerned, so pardon me if I'm not on the latest topic. Okay. But, um, I, uh, correct, my, correct me if I'm uh, this logic, but, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, trying to distill this down too hard to one solution, but for me, it uh, it comes down to MLS salary caps and the uh, bizarre world of DPs and TAM. Okay. I have three boys myself, and they play soccer, and we have, uh, you know, talked about uh, their future in soccer in the past, and I've got one playing college soccer, and I've got one in club soccer and high school soccer right now. And uh, at some point, I've made a point to tell them, you understand that it doesn't matter how good you are at soccer. It's not a career. There's, there's no future in it. And they say, yeah, I know. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, until there is a viable... Um, profession for someone uh, going through school, there's never going to be significant scholarship money. And if there's not significant scholarship money, and if there's not an end uh, point to it, then the only reason to encourage your son to play soccer um, would be uh, just for the love of the game. And um, that's not a good enough okay. reason. Okay, okay. So, well, I'm getting down to the end of the show, Greg. I really don't want to cut you off, and this is a good discussion. I, if you have a SiriusXM subscription, you should call me up over at SiriusXM because uh, we can have a longer <laughs> discussion about it. Um, what What you're telling me is that 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 there is not enough of an example at the professional level of players making enough money and 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 being, you know, the, the example is not strong enough. There is that what you're saying? Well, if I'm evaluating careers, going into soccer is is a really poor sure, choice. The sure. big market is in Europe, and you know there's a visa issue with playing in Europe. In American soccer, there's it's you know a short well, okay, career. But I'm not it sure that pay you very well unless you're one of the chosen few. I'm not sure that you can. I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure that that. This is as important to development of players as some as some people make it out. I, I'm not saying that there isn't there isn't something to be said for players sticking with a sport because there's a future in it and a career in it and money in it. Absolutely, there is something to that. Um, but 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 I I think that you know the interest in a game and the decision to become that you know if you want to become a professional athlete. That that the genesis of that dream doesn't happen because of money. It happens because of love of the game, as you said, wanting to be, you know, wanting to 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 hit the home run, 
score the touchdown, score the goal, that kind of thing, uh, in the big moment. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know, but your parents have to nurture that. Sure, desire. sure they do. But, and but if your parents cut that desire off at an early age, no, of course, because of there's course. no scholarship well, well, then, money, then we're and getting... they'd rather you play the French horn because there's scholarship money there. Then yeah, that has a big well, there, impact there, there, on there, how there many is, players go that far. There is scholarship, Greg. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to run, man. I do appreciate the call. We there's love... not scholarship. Uh, there's some scholarship money. No, no, there's not. It's not. It's not football scholarship money. But again, the the structure of soccer and football is very different. The, the there is big money to be made at the college football level. Hence, the scholarship money. College soccer is never going to be a big money maker. So there's no scholarship money. I don't think that that's a driver of development. Most people will tell you that because of, in part because of that, we have to find a different way to develop players. And maybe also allow them to, the chance to go and get a college education. All right. It looks like we have one more person trying to get in. I'm sorry. I really am out of time here on a Friday. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Ross Dunbar for a fantastic discussion um, about German football. Uh, make sure you go back and listen to that if you missed it. Uh, callers, you're all brilliant people. We'll move over to Sirius XMFC where you can continue to listen to Soccer Morning. Remember... No more World Soccer Talk for us. Again, we thank those guys for their support. We'll move over to backheel.com and see you there on Monday. Later.